I feel like this time really forced us to take a very hard look at ourselves. And it was like, okay, shit or get off the pot. That's been the shadow I keep looking over my shoulder at through this whole pandemic. Either take it or leave it. And if you leave it, you're behind. You're going the way of the arcade or Blockbuster. I'm so happy for these people. And I feel this ugly jealousy and shame. I don't really like the way it sounds coming out of my mouth, but it's honest. Hello and welcome to Shiny Objects. I'm Elise Mason here with Jamie King. Today's episode is a state of the union of our business during the pandemic. You may recall that in episode one, we, which we recorded back in March or April of 2020, we were shell-shocked and trying to figure out what the future held for our business given the global pandemic. We weren't even sure that we would be here 10 months later, but here we are. And we decided to do a check-in and just kind of see how things were going, how the current reality squares with what we imagined back then and where we see it going from here. As you'll hear, a lot of things are different and a lot of things are the same. Thanks for being here. Hello. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Elise? I'm still here. Yeah, I'm in that mediocre sort of (laughs) space of I have health. (laughs) I have shelter. I have food. I don't know if my mental state is 100. No, I actually know that it's not 100 right now, but never is it really 100, I guess. Who who could say that? I don't know. Maybe like someone who sees love and light when they wake up in the morning. They probably don't have children. Uh, But yeah, my mental state is like a passing grade at best you're a passing grade congratulations you know what not everyone can be the star student or the dropout (laughs) yeah I'm not trying to drop out just now but I'm definitely just trying to like pass I want on my transcript is that big p is there any class in your life where you were like I really am just gunning for this pass oh my gosh yes multiple actually The first one that I really can remember very viscerally makes my insides churn. I took this behavioral psychology course when I was abroad in Italy at an Italian university. It was in Italian and it sounded really fun. The content sounded fun. I didn't actually need the course for any sort of requirement in my major or just like, you know, in general, but I was like, oh, this sounds like a great course. I'm going to take it. And it turned out that unlike all of my other classes at the university, which Italian, or at least at the time at the Italian university took mostly oral exams, this particular class was these multiple choice midterms and finals and multiple choice in another language. It is extremely hard. Um, I was like, I can't read the question and digest it fast enough. And then I can't read the answers and digest them fast enough to do this in time. So I barely even got through maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the test. And then it was time up. And the instructor was like, I don't care that you are not um, a native speaker. I don't care that you're here learning the language. You get the same treatment as everybody else. I'm not giving you more time. And I cried. I was like, I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do to go faster. (laughs) I just literally can't read the questions fast enough. (laughs) And like make sense of the answers. It takes me so much longer. (laughs) 
Um, so I went into my study center and they were like, oh, yeah, that teacher has a track record of being really hard. And thankfully, they were able to change that class for me from a grade to a pass, not pass. And I was so grateful because that would have like been a really bad grade on my college transcript. Oh my gosh, that's so stressful. That time piece is always really stressful when you've got a multiple choice test. I've never been that person who can blaze through a multiple choice exam, put them in another language. And then I was just like, mm, I'm just going to gray in some circles because I don't know. <laughs> and then the other class was statistics. Oh my God. Me and statistics were never friends. And I had to take a regular stats class. And then I had to take for my major something called qualitative political science, which was the exact same textbook. It was my statistics textbook all over again. So I saved on books, but it did not save my sanity. I pretty much <laughs> cried through two semesters of statistics and it was the same class and I still couldn't do it. Oh, that is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, statistics, my nemesis. How about you? The one that comes to mind was my senior year of college. It was a class in my major. And by that point in college, I was like, I have a pretty good handle on classes in my major. I know how to do well in them. And this professor, on my first essay, he read only the first page out of probably a five to eight page essay and stopped reading it and said, I'm giving you a C minus. This is pure garbage. I don't give any grades lower than a C minus because I don't want you taking my class again <laughs> oh. and basically oh. refused to read the rest of it. That is brutal. Um, he was brutal. Yeah. I learned a lot from him. <laughs> he actually, he spent an hour on the phone with me working on my next essay. I sent him a draft and he was like, this is also garbage. And so we spent an hour on the phone. He was very generous with his time and his feedback. And at the end of the class, I asked him, because I was pretty sure I had just basically failed the class. He never was like, oh, you're improving here. <laughs> so at the end of class, when I turned in my final paper, I wrote him a note and I was like, I hope that my final grade reflects my effort and any improvement you may have seen rather than how I started this class. And I got a B. So I guess he went easy on me. But wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's the one where I was like, I don't know what's going to come out of this grade. Oh, that is brutal. That's all. Oh, yeah. Just getting ripped. This is garbage. Great. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I know. Yeah. And at the time I had actually signed up for this class because it was a really small class. I think there were, for Berkeley, it was small. There may be 20 people in the class and I needed to get another letter of recommendation to apply for grad school. So my whole plan with signing up for this small class was to be the star student and get a letter of recommendation. And that did not turn out as I had hoped. Oh my gosh, I remember <laughs> those days, the strategizing. <laughs> and then for the classes you would think were supposed to be easy, like astronomy, give me oh a gosh. break. That was not easy. I signed up for it as something fun and it was so much physics so much math, so not easy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I cycled through so many science classes, physical science classes at Berkeley, the ones that are supposed to be easy for non-science majors. And I think I tried three or four of them that I ended up dropping within the drop period before I finally found one where I was like, okay, I think I can make it through this semester. <laughs> oh, my ego would not so let me hard. drop astronomy. And I don't know why they said this is easy. So I should be able to do that. <laughs> 
it was like panic state through that class. I felt like everybody was light years ahead of me and it was a huge class. It was one of the biggest lecture halls at Berkeley. So it was just hundreds of students. Oh, I felt so, so humbled by that. The class was, you know, titled Rocks for Jocks. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I did not uphold that title, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of the ones I dropped during the oh, two-week window. Good for you. It was brutal for me. Yeah. I remember thinking in lecture, I can do this. This will be fine. And then I looked at the homework. And I was like, oh, this is really serious physics. And I don't even, I don't even know where to begin with this. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was way out of my league in that class. Thankfully, I befriended this guy, Jason. Do you remember Jason? (laughs) Yeah, I befriended Jason. We became workout buddies for a long time. And also he was a physics guru. So he basically, he got me through that course. (laughs) We did all of our homework together. Basically, which meant I made him come over and sit and show me how to do the homework. Oh, okay. So my unimportant, important news, I've been doing this too much lately, but it's important, at least to me on this personal level, we have started an official house hunting journey (laughs) and talk about things that you think are going to be like rocks for jocks fun and end up being like a really mixed bag of fun at times and then just really stressful and also really hard. I never really imagined house hunting would lead me to feel like I'm making this huge decision or trying to make some huge decision and just sitting there and feeling this is really overwhelming. This is actually a really big decision and you have to make it pretty quickly. There's not a whole lot of time to overthink or overanalyze or, I don't know, go through all the little pieces. And I watch a lot of reality TV and in none of my reality TV shows, Do I really feel that they show you the quickness of this decision-making? And also, where are the cookies? Okay, I know it's COVID. I get that. But there have been no cookies when I go to tour homes. I'm just saying. Oh, my gosh. That is so stressful. And I know it's crazy how you are supposed to make this probably one of the biggest decisions you've ever made in your life on no time. And what an insult to make that decision with no cookies. No cookies, zero time, big decision. I don't even make the decision of what to order for takeout. And this is so many times more stressful than that. Congratulations. That is definitely important news and very exciting and very stressful. And just more and more to think about still with no cookies. No cookies. I am learning a lot. Yeah. And one of those things I'm learning is that reality TV has lied to me. I know always those couples looking at three houses and then they kick back on their porch and have this deep discussion about what they want from their lives before they make their decision. And it feels so relaxed. Yeah. And they get one of the three houses that they want, whereas it's not quite that way here. (laughs) Like where is their rejection? Where do they not get, you know, their offer accepted on, you know, all three of those houses, which could easily happen here. So anyway whatever reality TV, I'm on to you. This just may be the push you needed to finally get on reality TV. If that means you get one of the three houses that you want. Oh, that would be so amazing. (laughs) Put me on, put me in coach. I'm here. (laughs) And unimportant, important news is, yeah, my child still is resisting bedtime in a big way. And so if anybody who listens, do you have any tips for me? I'll take them. 
we've tried some melatonin and that seems to have works, but I, I don't know because sometimes is it correlated <laughs> or is it just this night is better? And once he's asleep, he stays asleep. That's not the issue. It's the issue of getting him to bed. I keep reading articles like routine. We do that. Our routine is the same choice. Yes, we have those choices. So I'm at a loss. There's just, I want you to stay mama or data. Mm-hmm. And mama and data are like, hey, this already takes us an hour, just the whole process. Adding that extra hour where one of us has to stay till you fall asleep. You can't get anything else done. You cannot get anything else done. It's seven o'clock till 9.15. One night it was till 10. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I don't have any tips for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I get that. I get that. My unimportant, important news is actually unimportant and feel good. I've been doing hit and flow teacher training, as you know, and I've been doing a lot of hit and flow, as you know. And this weekend I did a weighted backpack hike, which I haven't done since the summer. And I felt really strong had a good pace, felt strong, felt really good and felt sore afterward, but not in a crazy kind of way. And I think it's hit and flow that made me just be able to step right into that and feel good. So thanks, hit and flow. Awesome. That's the best kind of music to my ears. It makes all this, this strange sort of mental energy I have feel so much brighter. And that, I think that's why, gosh, that's why I like teaching. The thing that really gives me joy is hearing other people feeling really good when they go hike with a weighted pack or whatever on from taking some hit and flow workouts. It's like, it's a miracle. There's something I'm doing that's helping somebody else feel stronger. Like that's amazing. Yeah. That brings me a lot of joy. We are talking today about where we're at. Because it's been a while since we've done the check-in on how business is going, which is the reason we started this whole podcast in the first place. Yeah, it's funny because episode one was really just a real conversation that you and I had about all of our fears and uncertainties and are we going to stay in this thing and what do we do? Are we closing shop? Are we trying to stay open? What happens now? (laughs) And that's a crazy thing to think about because that was what, nine months ago? (laughs) And we're still here. (laughs) And it's been a really wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) It sure has. It's been so boring and so wild all at the same time, which feels like one of the great paradoxes of this pandemic. You're both so bored and so freaked out. Yeah, that's very real. I feel like that could be like the tagline for the year. (laughs) Bored and freaked out. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully the history books will capture some of that when they're looking back on this time in our lives. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think business-wise, it feels to me like we are back in a really strong rhythm. That is not to say I, people ask me all the time, like I'm out walking or run into neighbors or community members. Oh, how's it going? Or I get emails from friends and Everybody has that question and I know what they're asking is, are you guys okay? Are you hanging in there? And I have the same answer. I'm always like, we are doing okay. It is not perfect and it is certainly very challenging, but I think we're going to be okay. And I just, I, I don't know. It's my standard elevator pitch type answer. And I think all things considered, we're doing pretty okay. 
But I also think from a longer lens view, or at least what I like to tell myself during this time, is I think we're doing more than okay. I, I don't want to jinx it, for lack of a better word, or get ahead of myself. But I feel, I feel like this time really forced us to take a very hard look at ourselves. And it was like, okay, shit or get off the pot, you guys. And we have seized some new opportunities, things that we always said we wanted to do, but never, ever dedicated any time and energy into, like online classes and teacher trainings. And we went for it. And so to me, if, even if after all is said and done, we don't make it, I am really happy to know that we like tried and we tried all of these things um, that we always said we were going to do. And we didn't just try them. We, we went in full in and I think we were doing a pretty damn good job with them. Yeah, I agree. I think <laughs> considering the global meltdown that we've been living through, <laughs> I think we're doing a bang up job. And I really like how much clarity this time has forced us into. I have a similar stock answer when people ask me how things are going. And it's actually exactly what I said at the beginning of this episode, which is my stock answer is we're still here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> which feels like success. I say it laughing, but it honestly it feels like success. I've seen stats that 30% of small businesses have closed already. Yeah. I, I have the same reaction. If we're still here, our sign still hangs on the door. I feel grateful for that. And I feel grateful that you were willing to continue down this wild ride with me because I know that we both had reservations, but I think it would have felt really wrong for me to throw in the towel completely at the outset without really trying to give it a chance. And I'm glad that no matter what happens from here out, because who knows what's going to happen. I'm not trying to be anybody's crystal ball. I do not want that role. And also that is not a responsible choice for me to make, <laughs> in my opinion. And so I don't know what happens. I can't predict the future. I don't know how long this is going to last, pandemic speaking. But I do feel like I am really grateful that we have had this opportunity to say, can we do this really hard thing? Can we um, adapt? to our new circumstances? And can that adaptation work for this kind of business? And, and I think the stats are saying, yeah, it can work. Look at all of these at-home fitness products that have been 100% thriving. But that also leads me to feel really scared because we're not Peloton and, or the mirror or all of these like snazzy new things that are out there. The thing that we have that we're really grateful and proud of is the community aspect of it. But I often sit there and get haunted by this idea that, yes, that we could do everything in our power to stand out and to be awesome and to keep our community thriving. But at the end of the day, can we compete with Peloton? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's been the shadow or the thing I keep looking over my shoulder at through this whole pandemic when we've been making decisions about what to do next or what not to do next. Mm -hmm. It's like knowing that realistically we can't compete with Peloton. And so we've had to make really hard decisions and hopefully they're the right strategic decisions about 
where we try to compete and where we focus our time and energy, knowing that we're never going to be able to compete with Peloton. So how can we really differentiate ourselves so that we can still be here and coexist with someone like Peloton and be here for the people who would, you know, choose us instead of Peloton or in addition to Peloton. Mm -hmm. And we have some of those people that do us and Peloton, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful because I do think there can be value in having both of those things. There's a lot of people who have their fancy gym membership and then a boutique studio situation and for different reasons, I'm assuming. And, or people that are like, Hey, I want my instructor to know who I am. And I like connection. And I'm like, cool. Well, then you belong here. But also we're doing other things that Peloton isn't going to do. And frankly, I don't think wants to do like with our hit and flow teacher training. Those are things that we are more than prepared and ready to be offering. We have a signature workout. We can teach teachers and get them teaching on demand platforms and maybe one day back in physical spaces. And I think that there is still opportunity for us. I'm just, I can't lie and be like, I don't worry about it or think about it at night. I read this article, I don't know, it was a couple months ago in Fast Company about will the gym ever return? And it will use gym as this all encompassing language. I, I remember thinking that. And it's, it was really like, no, it's going to go the way of the arcade. People used to play Whoa. video games at the mall and then they realized they could have these gaming consoles and now they play at home. And that was really doom and gloomy type article to read. But I had to really think about that. And I was like, but the kind of, the kind of workouts that we're doing, what we hear from our community is I can't wait till you open your doors. There are people who are loving the digital aspect and people are like, I can take so much more yoga because I don't have to worry about childcare or time to commute or whatever. But then there's people like, who are just like, I just can't wait till the doors reopen. I'm craving those in-person high fives, that connection, the laughter before and after class, just all that stuff that you just can't get <laughs> from your gaming console. Um, and there's where I think the article might be wrong because this isn't video games. Like you're not with your thumb on the, you know, button and the, I don't even, the joystick, that's what it's called. You're not like just sitting there, like with your eyes on a screen, like playing for points. It's a really different thing. And I guess I'm not a gamer, so maybe I don't understand the connection piece of that. But to me, taking the connection completely out of this industry, I just, I don't buy it. I think that there's a, there's room for both. Yeah. There were so many think pieces right before the pandemic about how gym is the new church. It's the place where people go to find their local community and feel tapped into something. And I don't think the pandemic can wipe away that ageless need for local connection. Yeah. And that makes me think you could just make that statement, right? You could be like, this is going to be the same for restaurants as it was for arcades. <laughs> people used to go out and eat and then they realized they could have takeout. I was like, actually, no, because people already <laughs> could have takeout and people want to go out to eat because that's a place where they can have connection over something that they enjoy together. I think this is like, here's your takeout option, fitness industry, either take it or leave it. And if you leave it, you're behind. You're going the way of the arcade or blockbuster. That's the way I think about it. So I took that article and I thought to myself, this just shows me that we have to be really smart and strategic about the opportunity that is in front of us and not just get really stuck in our old ways and feel like we could just go back there. I think it's, okay, how do we make our new way even better? And what is the right hybrid model so that we can continue to grow? I think it's 
yeah, if you're stuck and we have to operate just in person, like that's how it works. And this is like what it's required to do that. You're not, my guess is you're not going to make it through this. But if you're ready to innovate and try new things and take some risks, I think there's a chance. And I think it's just, yeah, it's embracing. We're embracing takeout. <laughs> Restaurants have been doing that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so true. And I think this has given us such an opportunity to expand our potential market. And granted, there's a lot of players in the space right now. So there's a lot of competition for that potential market. But as the pandemic winds down, if everyone else lets go of takeout, I feel like we could keep laughing at Peloton's heels or just getting more people in the door, our our virtual doors, that is, even when our physical doors are back open. And so even just the conditioning of the market to accept virtual fitness feels like ultimately a win. Yeah, because I agree with that. It really accelerated the pace at which people agreed to be on video for a fitness class. Do you remember, this was a few years ago, we worked with a partner, Gixo, who has since been acquired by, they're now OpenFit. They're an app that does workouts. And I remember when they introduced live cameras for participants, like you could choose to turn your camera on so the instructor could see you. And I remember people were like, whoa, no. And I was one of them. I was like, I don't want to be on camera while I'm working out. That's terrible. And how quickly we've all come around, myself included, (laughs) to not having that be a weird thing. It's mind-blowing how quickly things can change and then how slowly things can change depending on the circumstances. We were all called to say either you adopt this new method or you sit at home and you feel like you're missing out because you just want to (laughs) move. And people ultimately were like, okay. All right, I want to move. I need that connection. I'm tired of my couch. I'm doing this. <laughs> and we all got over ourselves. And that's the funny thing about video is nobody's watching you. They're all just doing their thing. And if they are watching you, that's their own issue. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. I will confess, this is so creepy. I was, taking, <laughs> I was taking a dance class and one of the women in my class was really good. And so I actually pinned her video because I was really trying to learn. And I was like, she's doing it so well. And the instructor wasn't demonstrating. So I did pin her video and it was really helpful. (laughs) But she'll never know. Sorry, lady, whoever you are. (laughs) You did that because she was helpful. I think people's fears aren't like that I'm not going to be helpful. I think it's more they'll be critiquing me or seeing how people's fears are like, they see how bad I am at something. And while... I always try and say to students, there is no bad or good, right? We're just all moving. That's still a a serious fear that people have. It's with any activity. You're like, how bad or good am I going to be at this? And will people know? (laughs) Yeah. That was my serious anxiety question that I had to get over myself when I played co-ed soccer several years ago. I am so bad. And Once I owned that and just kept saying it out loud to everybody that I encountered, then it became no problem to just be really bad. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all know on Zoom, everyone's just watching themselves anyway. (laughs) Yeah, nobody's watching you. And if they are, they're because they're Elise and they're pinning you because you're really blowing their mind. So there you go. It's a compliment, y'all. It's a compliment. Yeah, I don't know. We started the conversation and we both were just feeling the doom and gloom of it all. And that felt, and just the scary financial piece of it, the really scary risks we were taking by remaining 
open in some capacity and by open virtual <laughs> and rent and paying people. Those were things that I know both of us were like, how do we sleep at night without a crystal ball, without knowing when this ends or if it ends and how we get through this. And that, that piece still is there. It's very much still there. But I don't know about you, but I feel like, I don't feel certain that we're like out of the woods. That's not what I'm saying. But I feel less like constricted by it. <laughs> I don't feel on the verge of collapse every time I think about it, which is how I felt if you'd asked me March through May of last year. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've reached this closer to Zen state about the financial side of things. I think this year has been just this repeated lesson about how much is outside of our control. And, mm -hmm. and we're scrambling and hustling to do whatever we can to survive. But against the backdrop of we really have no fucking control in any of this. <laughs> like, we're just doing what we can. And so because we took out a pretty scary big loan back in June that gave us a certain amount of runway. I think that sort of immediate pressure of meeting payroll, which is always my greatest source of sleeplessness and anxiety. I think that's taken the edge off of that anxiety, just having that cushion. And I know we're going to have to pay it all back. And I'm just deferring that stress. <laughs> I'm not thinking about it right now. There's enough to worry about right now. So I think for me, the financial piece is really scary, but it's been blunted. Yeah. That's a, great, that's a great way to describe it, blunted. I like that. That's exactly like how it feels. Whereas before I felt like I was going to collapse mm -hmm. <laughs> every time I thought about it. Whereas now I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And maybe that's what happens, right? Over nine months or whatever it's been of this time where you just get fine with the uncertainty. Yeah, we've been getting conditioned for almost a year now in uncertainty and potential doom and... So maybe we're just getting better at this. Yeah, that's my hope. <laughs> we're getting better at it. I am really proud that we haven't had to lay anyone off or that we haven't decided to lay anyone off. I think no matter what comes out of this, I think that's something that I will remain proud of, both in terms of just figuring out a way to make that happen and also in terms of making that a priority. Yeah, I am very proud of that also. And I'm grateful that we haven't had to. That's a nightmare, right? That's a worst nightmare scenario. I care so much about our team and yeah, that that's definitely something that would weigh on me and continues to weigh on me heavily is just making sure that they're all taken care of. We both agree we're doing pretty well, all things considered on the COVID scale, that thing that we've been saying for nine months on the COVID scale, <laughs> the new terminology. But I will say I got a little bit darkened by some really great news from some other friends. We had a couple of different friends and a former client whose businesses basically blew up in a good way. And they got an infusion of big money, big cash. And it was all good news. Great things happen. And I'm very happy for them. But I can't help but feel this darkness or defeat because I look at us and I go, we've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> and where's my big giant payout? And I don't really like the way it sounds coming out of my mouth, but it's honest. It's, it's hard not having a paycheck and it's hard being like, wait, am I on, is this the right path? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the comparison game feels extra wounding in the pandemic. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I'm so happy for these different people that we know. I'm so happy for them. It doesn't take that away, but I definitely have those feelings where I'm like, damn, damn. <laughs> I know. And I know some of the examples that you're talking about. And again, it's one of these weird feeling things like I'm so bored and I'm so anxious and it's, I'm so happy for these people. And I feel this ugly jealousy and shame that mm -hmm. is not where we're at. Shame for sure. It made and me the, feel like a ton of shame. Yeah. I'm holding all of those emotions in one place. I'm happy for them. And I feel ashamed of myself. These friends' businesses, they don't feel that different from us. And it just makes me wonder, what is it that we are not doing? What is the actual difference between how they were able to achieve these cash infusions or these exits or et cetera, et cetera? And what is keeping us from getting there? What obstacles or what limitations am I not seeing? What am I blind to? Yep. <laughs> that hits the nail on the head of my own feelings around it. And then I have my next question, is it me? <laughs> mm -hmm. Is it me? Is, is it me who's standing in the way uh, of what the potential really is? Am I the problem? And I ask myself that a lot. <laughs> Like, that's a question that I ask probably weekly, regularly, and sometimes out loud. Yes. And sometimes I make it as a declaration. Please don't let me stand in the way of this. Because <laughs> it's a serious fear I have. And I don't want to be the thing that holds us back um, from maximizing potential or getting to that place. And I don't even need it to be a cash infusion or an exit. I just want it to be like where we can take big, deep breaths. Everybody's mm. paid, overpaid and happy and our community is thriving and we're doing things that feel inspired and we feel really good about. We don't have to go off of this trajectory of where we wanna be, an inclusive space and wellness, a place where people can feel that they can come to move and feel connected to others. I wanna be on that same trajectory, but I want it to be without some of the stress. And maybe that is a really silly thing to say out loud, but that would just be so lovely. And yeah, and I don't need it to be this grand thing. But I think just a little more, that feeling of a little bit more security could go such a long way. And then yeah, and it begs all those questions, like, <laughs> what's the thing that we're missing? And then is it me? <laughs> Am I to blame? I often think I'm to blame for most things. And in my house, if you were to ask my two year old, he would agree with you or agree with me that I am to blame. <laughs> It's always mom's fault. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. These are big feelings and big questions. And it's funny because I think in terms of the mood, or at least where we're both coming at this feeling, I can tell, I know you and I know myself, we're both feeling way more inspired. We have that, we got this energy back that we were scarily lacking <laughs> when we first had this conversation back when everything, when the shit really hit the fan. But I think it's funny because we both still have a lot of the same uncertainty and that imposter syndrome. I was just saying it out loud, verbalizing it again. I'm still there. Yep. It's yep. still this question of, is it me? And it's interesting how that just hasn't changed. And I wonder when that does change. Does it change? 
I don't know. Now I feel like I'm talking in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Your diary. Does it change? And when? And how? And when does my fairy godmother come? Oh, gosh. Are you my fairy godmother? I wish. (laughs) Oh, I just wave my wand. And everything will be fine. I think, and I think what's another sort of two feelings that don't make any sense together, but that I'm holding together. And we talked about this a little bit, but you're right. I think I certainly feel more energized around making shit happen and doing it in a streamlined and strategic way. I think we've got that energy back compared to where we were 10 months ago, but I also feel this tremendous fatigue and it's, it really, that was the first emotion that came up for me when we were talking about our friends' successes. I was like, man, I am just tired. (laughs) I'm tired of always trying new things and trying to adapt to the circumstances and trying to make payroll happen again and trying to find a way to make something else happen. And it just hit me like this ton of bricks. What I imagine from those cash windfalls or exits, et cetera, is I think that relief that you're talking about, where just taking some of the edge off of that striving and worrying, getting a little break from just a day-to-day fatigue that I'm sure is way exacerbated by living in a pandemic. But that idea of just getting a break from that sounds so, so delicious. The fatigue is the same thing. I remember when we had that conversation, we were talking about tired and I don't know, I don't know if there's a better way to say it, but it does feel like that fatigue can really hit you at weird times and have that attitude of let's do this, let's hustle, let's keep going. And then the fatigue will hit me really hard and it makes me recoil. It's like that mirror conversation again. Am I doing something worthwhile? Dear diary. (laughs) send me a sign god I thought I escaped my teenage angst but here we are (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't know I I think that fatigue is the perfect wrapper on on the emotion around that happiness but also that feeling of shame and that just general fatigue over we've been doing this so long and we thought pre-2020 that things were really going well (laughs) We marched into January feeling like, woohoo, like, this is it. This is our year. (laughs) And then it was like, womp, womp, womp. And I think that really permeated into my, I don't know, my overall sense of self-worth and my sense of leadership. And yeah, and then celebrating other people's successes, I was just like, God, I'm so happy for you, but I'm so fucking tired. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I don't even like I don't want to ask the question it's like that when is it my turn question but that's not really what I mean it's more just what am I doing where I'm not getting that that opportunity to feel a little bit rested and by rested I just mean certain yeah as you're talking about this what it makes me think about is we're getting a lot of day-to-day validation we get really nice notes from students or from people who are listening to the podcast, et cetera. There's a lot of that really positive reinforcement on the stuff we're doing. And I'm so grateful for every single note of encouragement because I am just like lapping that shit up. 
And I think what I desire so much from some kind of cash infusion, investment, et cetera, is validation. Like you're on the right track. You're doing something good. You've made some smart decisions. You tapped into something. Like you figured something out and you did at least one thing right. And I think that's what I'm really missing. That would feel restful to me is like to get some kind of indication or signal that there was something we were doing that was good and right. Yeah. Like somebody like winking at you. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's the right track. Don't you stop now. If we all want that sign, right? We don't want to be struck by the lightning bolt and be like, nope. (laughs) Or struck by the lightning bolt and wake up and be like, yep. (laughs) Where's my fucking lightning bolt? (laughs) Yeah. I guess we'll never know. I have to say, I'm very happy that we're both feeling at least in some strange way semi more settled than we were if you'd asked us nine months ago. Mm-hmm. And and by semi settled, we've just adapted and we're doing it. And I think we're not just sitting here moaning and whining about the past, but we're trying to take action and keep moving forward. And then we're having these really real conversations around it. And I think that's really helpful because it's nice to hear that sometimes you're not alone in having those like thoughts where you're like, I'm happy for you, but (laughs) because nobody wants to admit that out loud that we're happy for people, but we also have these other mixed emotions about celebration. And yeah, so I'm grateful for this because it's so good for my my mental scorecard (laughs) to be able to find that passing grade somewhere. And I'm having all these mixed feelings about this time and these things and the business. And and I guess maybe that's a good sign because it means we're open to continuing to grow. We've never completely just settled or given up. And growing is really fucking tiring. That's why toddlers nap. It's tiring. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's why we're so exhausted. That and just mental fatigue. <laughs> yeah. Plus toddlers who don't sleep like they're supposed to. Yeah. And I cancel them. <laughs> toddlers are canceled, but we're still here. We're still here, damn it. And that's what's important. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shiny Objects. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate you leaving a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. And please check out our sister podcast, The Activist. That's active with an E-I-S-T. Thanks for being here and see you next time.